everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, a foodie born and bred. My wife, Nikki, loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband, David, thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20, because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on what is starting as a rainy day, but will clear up for the Nats to whip Houston today, I hope. everybody, Somebody say something. Come on. Right. So. There you are. All right. All right. In the meantime, before the game starts, we've got a great show today. we Steve, got a lot of time until the game Steve starts. Bayshore is in. He's director of trades at uh, George Washington's Mount Vernon. They have a ton going on there. A lot of people don't know that George Washington was a whiskey distiller later in life, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. And uh, we're going to be hearing about the George Washington Whiskey Festival a going on out there. A major whiskey distiller. Like, um, he created mass quantities of whiskey. That's the only kind to create. Well, And we're going to hear about that. that. There are a good. bunch of other events going on that we're going to hear about. Celebrity chef Todd English is back on the show with us. Uh, one of his gigs is as executive chef and partner at MXDC Cocina Mexicana. How about that for my pronunciation? Not bad. Uh, he's going to be on uh, talking about the Mexican Day of the Dead and um, uh, we got to find out about this. He's doing a Japanese shabu shabu menu uh, at uh, MXDC. at a Mexican restaurant. At a Mexican, so we got to. We're going to find, find out, out why. I don't. Because it's know. weird. It must have something to do with a wall or something. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. know. Uh, Jonathan Nelms is in. He and his wife Laura own Supra, which is DC's first and only Georgian restaurant. And it's delicious. It's delicious. And he brought a bunch of stuff that we already broke into. That's good. We'll be talking it. about that as well. And Galvin Medrano is head bartender at Morris American Bar. They've got a whole Halloween thing happening there, and he's in. You're going to be mixing. Yeah, but it's a really cool bar because it's all craft artisans. So he's going to tell us about the bar, and then also explain all their spooky offerings for the holiday. Oh, okay. Okay. I was about to say that, but all right. I took the words right out of your mouth. This is a vista into my marriage, boy. (laughs) A window. Um, But first, we're going to go to uh, Debbie Moser, whose husband Mitch Berliner, and uh, who jointly runs Central Farm Markets with her husband Mitch Berliner. Deb, are you there? I am here. How are you? You are here two weeks in a row. Is the rain letting up a little bit there at Central Farm Market today? It just, it just let up. It's been pretty, pretty wicked here. I could use some of that whiskey. (laughs) I bet it can warm you up. Don't you have whiskey? Don't you have whiskey at the market? We have distillers there. We do at Bethesda, not at not Nova. Mm. No, we have a different set of rules down here. All right. Well, well, Nick, you'll have an extra shot for you. Two fingers of whiskey for for, for So, what is happening at the markets today? Uh, Well, we have some of our vendors came out with all of their Halloween bakery and and good stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just beautiful. I have to tell you, I was talking to one of the farmers today. This has been one of the best growing seasons that they've seen in a long time. So you still have tomatoes. You have beautiful. There were raspberries on one of the stands. Raspberries? All raspberries. That were raspberries, huh. and they were delicious. They I bet. Were big Isn't global and, warming so never, a wonderful you know, thing? Will you stop? Let her talk. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I will tell you that they were really pleased this year. It has produced some of the best summer and fall crops that we've seen in a long time. So we hope people will come out. Uh, it's raining, but it's letting up now. Come on out, support the farmers, support the vendors who have stood out here in the rain since 7.30 this morning, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, get something good to eat. What? A lot of Can we talk about food. gourds? Because I'm totally gourd obsessed. Sure. Do you guys have a ton of gourds there today? 
We do. We do. We have gourds, and we have some unusual pumpkins that you cook and gourds that you cook, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that you can that the pumpkins that we're carrying are not carving pumpkins. We have some of those. They're too. eating like sugar are, pumpkins. Are actually, they're like eating pumpkins. Eat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they make really good soups and they make great pies and great muffins and all sorts of things. Mm. Well, and have chili. Mitch, you can I want you to have Mitch chili. call me because I have some gourd jokes that aren't appropriate for the two of you, but I he and imagine. I will talk later in the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You can have a whole new show. A whole different right. show, yeah. Will you make sure that everybody knows where show. Central Farm Markets are? Yes, we're in Bethesda today, uh, downtown Bethesda, and at the George C. C. Marshall High School in Northern Virginia. Okay. Thanks, Deb. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Galvin, step up to the mic. Hi, Galvin. This is your first time on radio. Yes, it is. He uttered his first word. Get right in front of the mic. Lift it up. Yep, so we can hear you. All right. So let's talk a little about you and, Amer- and Morris American Bar. What's we, your well? So Morris American Bar came in when they first opened, and that was what, like a year ago? Uh, about twenty months ago. Yeah. 21. Okay. So a little over a year ago. So let's talk about the restaurant for people who maybe don't know about. I mean, the bar, and for people who don't know about it, let's hear your sort of elevator speech. So we are a sit-down, speakeasy, specializing in classic cocktails, uh, modern classics, and variations of those cocktails. We use uh, large format ice, fresh juices. Basically, it's like walking into a bar, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, prohibition never happened in Morris. Okay. So, and so how did you guys do all the research for your cocktails? Uh, a lot of what we do uh, has been shared through the industry, uh, books, uh, doing our own experiments in-house. Uh, for example, every day we build rounds, we take temperatures, we measure dilution, so we're trying to be very exact in the way we execute our martinis, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, most people think a martini is not that hard to make. What is it about your martinis? Well, the first thing that's going to separate our martini is that we're using a chilled pint glass to bring the temperature down. On top of that, we're using cracked uh, hard ice, which is ice frozen in a special method uh, using the lake effect. Uh, okay. What? So the ice freezes from top to bottom, and all the impurities are pushed out and forms this like lattice formation, and it gets like really hard. So we can stir our martinis longer without getting them as diluted. So we're going to give you a martini between negative 4 and negative 5 degrees Celsius, and mm-hmm. it's going to be all That's booze. the only way I drink them, Galvin. I'm sorry. I know. I mean, you must be drinking them at Morris. <laughs> if you put them side by side with like uh, deli ice, you'll notice a difference. You Is can't it, go back. Will you notice a difference in the taste, or will you notice a difference in the look? Like, is a a martini with different ice cloudier? Uh, The martini is not going to be cloudier. It's going to have, it's still going to have like that classic rich mouthfeel. It's going to be very clear, but it's going to be, you're going to feel the cold coming onto your face from the glass. Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to get back to you a little later in the show. Why don't you tell us what you're making first? This is from your Halloween menu. Uh, First, I'm going to be making a variation on the classic cocktail, Blood and Sand. Traditionally, this drink is made with blended scotch. I'll be using uh, Jameson Irish whiskey for this cocktail. I feel like that's a perfect segue for our whiskey segment. Right, for our whiskey segment. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on. to Well, you mix that thing up uh, and don't be afraid to make noise. Uh, Steve Bayshore is with us. He's the director of trades at, at Mount Vernon, George Washington's ancestral home. But I and feel like we should explain what director of trades means. Yeah, what not... does that mean, Steve? Well, I'm in charge of the living history element of Mount Vernon. So we operate the distillery and grist mill, the water-powered mill, and the farm and mm-hmm. blacksmith shop. So all of my staff is in period clothing, telling the story of the people that lived and worked on the estate and actually doing the 
the same sort of well, sort of work. But the but the operation of the whiskey, uh, where the whiskey is made, that is sort of recent, right? It, it, that wasn't a functioning part of Mount, the Mount Vernon experience like 15 years ago. It's been 13 years okay. since we restored the distillery. And what um, was what was the thought process behind that? Well, we took over actually the grist mill first, which was the water-powered mill that. that was a state park, and we made that operational again. Mm -hmm. And Mount Vernon knew that behind that uh, area, somewhere underground, was the remains of Washington's distillery. So we did six years of, ar ar of archaeology and realized there was so much still there that we could rebuild it. That must have been fascinating. You know, we have some time. Why don't we talk about, because you did not have an your own archaeology division originally, right? And now you do. Yeah, that started in the mid-1980s, so that was headed up by uh, a couple of very skilled people, uh, Dennis Pogue in particular, who, who was behind the restoration. But they uncovered the distillery, and we also have a paper trail. So we have the ledgers, the letters. So we have a pretty complete story, and that's what brought it about, really. So when you, so where was the distillery? Like, was it just underground? It just, over time, just sort of deteriorated and fell underground, and that's how they... Um, excavated it? It burned down in 1814. Okay. So when you have uh, wood-fired stills and alcohol, it's a good mixture for potential for an accidents. an explosion, right? It happens. And, and so that, that building was long gone, but we knew it was back there somewhere. So by doing the archaeology and going through the records, we, we realized it's worth rebuilding. So we opened in 2007, made one small barrel of whiskey mm -hmm. uh, with some major distillers, people you would probably know, like Jimmy Russell and and others, and then we have been making whiskey twice a year since 2009. Well, what's so interesting about Mount Vernon getting back into the whiskey business is that it's all, it also came at the time of sort of this distillery revolution that's been going on nationally. So it used to just be all the big brands that got the sort of attention for whiskey. And now there's all these craft artisan distilleries, even here in D.C., you know, we have like 11 or 12 distilleries that are creating a, a variety of products. And now you guys, too, at Mount Vernon, you're not just doing one whiskey. You have a, a variety of products. Yeah, we do the rye whiskey mainly, which is what Washington made in mm -hmm. the 18th century. Uh, we also do brandies, peach and apple. Mm -hmm. And we've done single malt whiskey and we even did rum last year. So, But are these recipes true to what Washington was doing? All the whiskeys are. And All the, the whiskeys are. Yeah. The other question is, are they sold anywhere else but Mount Vernon? Currently only at Mount Vernon Gift Shop, but we are looking into a little bit of distribution now. We're starting to mm -hmm. go down that road because we have been, we got better at it the last few years. I to mean, tell the you packaging the is spectacular. And we're, we're just making more than we ever did. But are you making it in the style in which George Washington made it? Yeah, that's the part that makes it a little harder. We do everything 18th century. So we grind the grain in the mill. We, mm -hmm. we cook and ferment in wood barrels and row mash by hand, and we're running five copper pot stills. So the whole reason of rebuilding the distillery was to educate people about this business in Washington. But in a place like that, you want to do it the old way. It's the appropriate way to make it. So, so how much harder does it make it? Like, what's the difference between whiskey making back then? I mean, obviously the technology, but mm -hmm. what's the difference in how you guys do it? A lot more manual labor. In a modern mm -hmm. distillery, you have pumps and pipes that can move fermented material to the still, or if you're using a column still, it's much easier in many ways. Mm -hmm. We have to bucket everything and row everything. And, uh, and so it, it, it's pretty gritty. I so bet. if we come to the Whiskey Festival, and we should talk about that too, what are we going to see? Are we going to see the still in operation? Uh, it won't be running the stills that night. The VIP event starts at 5 p.m. on November 9th, but we're going to have fermenters that are actively in different stages of, of, of activity. The main draw here is you're going to have 11 Virginia craft distilleries 
and we're going to have some major distillers from various markets here. So give us some uh, names. John Campbell of Lafroy will be here. John's made single malt mm-hmm. this bottle right here with us. We're going to have uh, Lisa Wicker who runs Widow Jane in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Becky Harris from Catoctin Creek. Becky is a good friend. Um, they were just, just on in the show. studio. Yeah. Uh, Brian Pruitt from A. Smith Bowman will be mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. Joe Dangler, who made Virginia Gentleman for 34 years, will be there. He's really? one of our other consultants. Uh, Ted Huber from Southern Indiana, Starlight Distillery and winemaker mm-hmm. and, and great distiller. And he's been the man that helped us with the early brandy. So, I'm um, going to stop you for just a sec. We people. have to take a break. But when we come back, I'd really like to talk about... Why Mount Vernon at this point would get into doing a whiskey festival. Certainly. Um, This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're getting historical in studio. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, uh, talking to Steve Bayshore from Mount Vernon about the the renaissance, if you will, of um, whiskey distilling out at Mount Vernon. But I'd love to talk about the historical importance of whiskey. Yeah. Why, what was it about George Washington making whiskey and the importance of it as a part of like American history and why you guys brought it back to Mount Vernon? I think if we re- go back even further, 1619 is the first recorded distillation of whiskey in this new world, which was in Virginia. And mm-hmm. of course, you don't want to tell folks in other states that, but that's documented. So <laughs> it's just part of the core of, of any farm, really. Mm-hmm. Excess grain that you could lose or, or couldn't get to market. If you distilled it, it's legal tender. Mm-hmm. You can trade it for other goods. Right. It was like and, money, right? Like yeah, people just like, could just spend just it. like tobacco was. So mm-hmm. this was just part of the economy. Rye whiskey becomes prevalent because really it's a cheap grain. Corn and other grains are foodstuffs. So you see rye in Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia be that cover crop that people then turn into whiskey. Okay. And so a lot of people think of corn whiskey or bourbon as America's drink, which they are today, but really rye was the initial spirit of America. And that's really when we were talking earlier about these craft distilleries that are developing in this area, D.C., Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Maryland. Rye was the bumper crop, right? That's what people had. So people are really bringing it back. Yeah, it's had a huge resurgence the last 15 years. And I think restoring Washington's distillery was part of that story that brought back the realization that Washington was a distiller and rye was the key. Uh, well, what drove the craft? I mean, craft brewing, you know, beer brewing started back, you know, kind of sort of popped between the last 10 and 15 years. Why do you think this all just sort of happened? I think it's entrepreneurial spirit and, and creativity and people realize that uh, there's an opportunity to, to enter a market like this with spirits being more popular, particularly brown liquors. Because mm-hmm. in the 70s, you know, well, yeah, whiskeys but, I mean, were down. With millennials now, brown liquors are, are huge. It's just it's the sort of what spontaneously, you know— combusted back then. Yeah, it's amazing to see the growth because when I first got into this, and I'm still count myself a novice, I've been in, involved for about 13 years. There was a few hundred licenses, I understand. Yep. Now there's over almost 3,000. It's amazing. At least a craft distillery in every state. So we're happy to be part of that, and we're mm-hmm. happy to tell the story of the history of the whiskey, which is you come to Mount Vernon, you get immersed in that, not just at his house, the museum, but you get to hear the story of Washington and, and how he was really a farmer and businessman. So... You have all these whiskeys here today and um, other products. When pe- So let's talk about this festival because um, Mount Vernon is known for their wine festival yes. that they do every- twice a year? Twice a year. Right? It's huge. Like, you can never very get popular. it. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, it's very popular. Why venture into a spirit festival? 
Well, we had never done one, and, and, and our uh, realization was that because of all the uh, work we've done over the years, the interesting people that have worked with us, it's a time. To, it's just time to do it because mm-hmm. this whiskey has become more known nationwide. I go to these conferences, and I realize people say, we've been following you all for years. Mm-hmm. I didn't even see it from that perspective. I'm in there just doing the work we do. And so I'm, I'm very happy that the whiskey's known, and I thought now's the time really to bring some of the partners, the big distillers that we've had help us. And so it's going to be a great night for the visitors and for all of us that so love So what whiskey. will the event look like for people coming? Will they uh, get to experience Mount Vernon in the evening? Is it just whiskey focused? Give us a quick little walkthrough. It'll be a VIP portion at the distillery in Grist Mill, which is three miles from the estate. So that'll mm-hmm. be for about 125 people. You'll get to interact with various uh, master distillers. I forgot to mention one gentleman you all know well, Bill Thomas will be there. Oh, yeah. Bill, right? yes. And Bill's bringing some rare whiskeys to taste. I think everybody in event. studio is like, Bill! Oh, Bill. Yeah, everybody knows Bill. Norm. He's become a great <laughs> friend. And then the main event takes place in our orientation and education center where all the distilleries, the Virginia ones, and Lafroy and Widow Jane will mm-hmm. be set up in there Can as you well. give the date and time and how to get tickets and all of that? Uh, November 9th. It's a Saturday night. Uh, and it'll be uh, tickets are available at mountvernon.org. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the estate's open 365, so there's a lot to see. Uh, Millen Distillery only open April through October. Okay. Uh, but please come to Mount Vernon also because our Christmas programs are right around the corner if you've oh. never been to Mount Vernon at night. It's, it's spectacular. Okay. Well, for people Great. who haven't, you know, it's funny how many locals have not been to Mount Vernon or the Washington Monument or the Capitol Rotunda, you know, for decades. I mean, I, I started going to Mount Vernon in, when I was a kid. Uh, it's not your father's mouth. Long, long time I think ago. I think I shook George Washington's hand mm-hmm. was on his way out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's not your father's Mount Vernon anymore. It's very interactive. It's a mini Williamsburg in a way. Yeah, we have with our orientation center and education center, we've got an experience where you really learn the chronology of Washington's life. And we also have a, a theater, a new interactive uh, uh, experience called Be Washington, where you can actually watch scenarios uh, and, and have decision points decide what you would might have done if you were Washington. So a lot of educational school kids right. do that. That's so a lot, lot to offer. It also changes by season. So if you've been one time a year, come again. Excellent. Something right. else is going on. And come for the Whiskey Festival. Let's give the website once more so people know. MountVernon.org. That Excellent. ain't that hard. Thanks, yeah, All right, so thanks. Thanks for having me. Galvin, back up to the mic. Uh, Oh, yeah. David didn't get to try I didn't get a taste. But, but I I'm feel like there's a partnership that should be happening here, like a natural collaboration between Mount Vernon Spirits and mm. Morris Bar, since you guys are both uh, dedicated to sort of like historical a- his- accuracy. Right. Am I wrong? No, oh, nobody's agreeing. I, I feel I like you people guests, should be like, yes, that's exactly what should be happening. I always tell guests uh, when they order rye cocktails, it doesn't get more American than this. Right, very true. Well, it doesn't get much more American than George Washington. We so, actually uh, have uh, an American trilogy on the <clears throat> excuse me on mm-hmm. the weekly menu right now. Uh, it's going to be a split base of rye whiskey and apple brandy. Interesting. And those are that's a cocktail or is yeah, that... it's a cocktail. It's an old fashioned style drink. So it's going to be an ounce of rye whiskey, an ounce of apple brandy. Two very American spirits. Absolutely. So tell us about the sort of, we talked about sort of your commitment to historical accuracy at the bar at Morris. Um, what, um, how does that grow? How do you guys, like you're doing this, Hall- all these Halloween cocktails. How does that, how do you, how do you make that work? Well, um, well, the thing is, we've been practicing these drinks for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. We're actually going to have... Uh, a few classics on there and some of our originals. Mm-hmm. Uh, our originals are inspired by some of these classic cocktails. For example, we're going to have a pumpkin spice 
old fashioned, mm-hmm. which is not exactly a classic American cocktail, but pumpkin Did spice you see has taken over. my face when you said pumpkin spice? <laughs> like, seriously, dude? <laughs> and I like pumpkin spice, but I feel like it's overdone. But uh, it must be important. Having, like everybody orders it, see, right? See, the thing is, we're having. We're, it's we're okay. On the show, you can totally like to have off. fun, too. Right. And if we can do something like pumpkin spice and execute it well, applying our techniques, mm-hmm. we're going to offer it to people. Okay. You know what? Ignore her. I like pumpkin spice. So he doesn't even know I'm using actual Malagasy vanilla. I'm not using like vanilla extract okay. when I'm making this pumpkin spice. Now you've hurt oh. his feelings. Nikki. I'm not it's hurting terrible. his feelings. Right, okay. What are, you, what what are you we making, making next? Next, I'm making uh, El Diablo. This is a tequila cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a margarita. It's going to be a tall drink with uh, ginger. In our case, we use blackberries. Um, you can also use... Um, a blackberry liqueur, or you can use uh, grenadine in some occasions. Well, but El Diablo gre- is, yes, is the a perfect, perfect lead-in to Todd English. Yes, Todd, are you on the thank phone? Thank you. Go ahead. Chef Todd, <laughs> hi. How are you? Hello, guys. Welcome hi. back hi. to the show. I think you were on like four years ago? Four years ago. Long time ago. I've been ago. in the studio a couple times. It, it was, uh, you know what? It was back in 2014 when MXDC opened. So welcome right. back. Right. Has, it, has it been that long? It has. It has. You know what? Time flies when you're having You're fun. on the phone so I can say this. You don't look a day older, man. You look great. <laughs> you look awesome. And, and I know I do, too. I have a, I have a face for radio. A face. <laughs> Join the club. So so tell us what's happening. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're doing a Day of the well, Dead uh, celebration at uh, I feel like you're starting off on the wrong wait foot. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I'm getting into it. Well. But I want to make not, sure everybody not, knows about... I guess what you're saying is I'm still alive. You're right? still alive. You're still with us. Even as old as I am. That's right. I'm still well, we're can, celebrating. <laughs> yeah, but let, can we reintroduce you to the D.C. office uh, uh, market, please? So you have been a chef yeah. for quite a while. You started off in Boston, olives, yeah. eggs. You're yeah. now national. You have restaurants everywhere, but you launched MXDC here in D.C. in 2014. A little bit of a departure for you going, because you were always more like American cuisine and and featuring, um, you know, incredible product. What brought you to Mexican food initially, especially in the D.C. market? Well, well, it's two things. You know, we we had olives in in the D.C. market for years, Mm -hmm. so that we kind of... um, and that was, um, you know, for 10 years. So it was very popular and they, they, uh, sold the building and all sorts of things happened, but we remember um, it well. You know, that was sort of, yeah, it was Mediterranean and kind of, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. It was a fun space. Um, you know, one of the things I've always loved and respected about Mexican food is, um, just sort of the birthplace for so many ingredients that traveled around the world. If you think about it, you know, um, tomatoes and uh, tomatoes, um, potatoes, tomatoes, squashes, corn. I mean, so much stuff came out of um, you know Central America um, and and, Mex- and Mexico and all of those areas. You know, that kind of influenced the rest of the world. And I think you know, if you look at Mexican food and the tradition of what they do is very much about using those ingredients, you know, and, 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 and then the chilies that go along with it mm-hmm. to, to make some, you know, incredibly wonderful layered flavors of food. And I, that to me is kind of what I love the most. I love hot. I love cold. I love spicy. I love, um, 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 you know, uh, um, grilled and smoked and all the things that happen in Mexico. And I think, it's such a sophisticated palette of flavors. You know, if you think about 
you know, the spices and all the things and the chilies that go on in Mexican cooking. So, you know, in, in some ways it's a departure. In other ways, if you look at, like, tacos al, uh, al pastor, you know, and I come from, you know, I did a lot of, med- most, you know, a lot of Mediterranean cooking, but mm-hmm. that taco al pastor came from the Lebanese when they defected from um, uh, Lebanon, uh, you know, in their civil war, you know, about years ago, and, uh, you know, 100 years ago, and they, they brought that technique to Mexico, and the Mexicans now do uh, that that style of meat on a, on the on the you know on the spit right that, and then taco cabron. So you know I think you got to look at all the sort of history of how things travel around the world and how food sort of morphs into what it is throughout you know the, um, uh, in, in different nations. You know they just took shawarma and they made. Uh, tacos al pastor with using chilies instead, you know, and 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 it's incredible. I mean, it's such well, it's all connected. Food. It is all connected, and I think it's a really oh, interesting point, especially since mm-hmm. I feel like this is a great segue um, because now you're going to be doing yeah. shabu shabu at yeah. a Mexican restaurant. It seems a bit of a departure, so I'm sort what, of... Japanese hot pot uh, came from Mexico originally, right, Todd? That's so what Todd's saying. So I'm just saying. sort of curious how one plus one equals two. Is this sort of a pop-up, or is yeah. there a real... Is there some is there some mad genius behind this? What are, you, what are we thinking here? Well, okay, so if you start thinking sort of after, oh, the, the past, I'm going to say 10 years in Mexico and where soy sauce has entered in this, you know, there is a not only a Chinese population, but uh, small Japanese, and you know there is an Asian influence in Mexico, mm-hmm. and um, that just sort of sprung out of you know um, the idea that um, uh, you know it's a, a tortilla is a is a is basically uh, you know a flatbread or it's a, um, uh, a, 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 a a bao, if you will, from Asia, you know. Like there's vehicles that carry meat or food or vegetables in and by hand, um, all over. You know, if it's pita in 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 uh in the Mediterranean, bao or, or tortillas in Mexico, um, but, you know that's sort of how that whole thing evolved. You know, and I think, um, you know, if you, you saw Korean become Korean tacos become really popular in L.A. on food trucks, right, and that sort of idea of taking uh, uh, the flavors of Korean food and kimchi and putting it on on a, on a tortilla, or you know, in a in a flour tortilla, or making a burrito out of it. And so I think we're breaking news here more than shabu shabu. Todd English is a globalist. <laughs> Tell the world, Todd. We're going to have to take a break. Can you hang on and come back with us? We'll be be back in two minutes. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Galvin, this drink is delicious. It is really delicious. Todd, I'm sorry. Uh, Todd English is on the phone with us. Celebrity chef Todd English. Mm -hmm. It sounds sounds delicious. You know what? You're missing missing some great stuff. (laughs) uh, Honest to God. Um, So, I mean, we were talking about really how basically how food it's become kind of uh, a united nations of dining wherever you are mm-hmm. the different cuisines yeah. are influencing other different cuisines uh before you go though i want to make sure we talk about what's happening at mxdc cocina mexicana for day of the dead because that's a lot of stuff 
Well, you know, it, it's certainly a, a, a day that is, you know, celebrating life, you know, remembering the, the dead that, you know, sacrificed so much and then celebrating the life in the community, you know, around us. And that's really what, so it's not a morbid, you know, uh, the day of dead is not a morbid uh, day. It's really a celebration for for life. So mm-hmm. I think people, you know, you got to understand. So it's, it's, you know, it's a festive and it's happy and it's, you know, so it's, we're, we have Halloween here, you know, in the same sense, but it, this is more of a, you know, it's not sort of about a haunted house. But so it's, it's not dawn of the dead, it's day of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it's multiple days. You guys are doing it for multiple days. Yeah, we are. Actually, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, sort of this blend of having fun and being more interactive is kind of some of the things that we're looking at doing. And, you know, um, the, the Shabu Shabu taco <laughs> kind of just came out of us taking the idea of, um, you know, a hot pot and and using Mexican spices with a blend of some Japanese things. So you have a dashi, but you also have chipotle. Mm-hmm. And you have bonito. And you have, you know, uh, uh, you know, all those flavors that you boil the meat in. And then the meat goes into a roasted pina jalapeno sauce that goes onto a... Uh, corn tortilla and um and 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 uh it has a little bit of pico and that kind of thing and it's really pretty much about the sensations of those flavors but really about um giving them a little bit of a different twist you know and you know whether it's we do it with shiitake mushrooms you know the hot dashi broth which is also part of it and we have a hoisin mole sauce that goes with it as well uh so so the idea is that you know it's those global flavors but kind of exciting and kind of ignites the palate and it's a little bit different than your neighborhood taco joint. So I'm sort of curious on that. Do you sort of let Mm -hmm. the chefs at MXDC play on their own? Did they present the concept to you or were you like, no, this is where I am now and this is what I want to see happening? (laughs) Um, You know, I, I encourage my chefs in all my restaurants to always um, create, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, you know, we play around with corned beef tacos. We, I mean, sorry, pastrami tacos. You know. Oh, we, my God, we, that sounds we, good. We, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is actually pretty good, I must say. Mm. So, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, and, you know, we have to also, you know, think about, uh, you know, our customers and, 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 and the people that come in all the time and, you know, giving them something kind of interesting and fun and different to try. And I think those are certainly, uh, you know, I think people expect that in, in what we're doing and, you know, what I do. And I try to bring some of, you know, my, in, in my global travels, I try to bring some of those things back. You know, I mean, I was recently in Thailand and ta- there's Thai, Thailand and, and Bangkok, is, these Thai tacos that are, are, you know, like red curry duck tacos are really huge in Thailand now. So that could be the next thing. I was like blown away. I was like, what's going on with right, the taco craze around the world? We're going to stay on top uh, of that. Uh, Todd, unfortunately, yeah. we got to move on. Will you do me a favor and make I, sure everybody knows where MXDC is and when the Day of the, the, day of the Dead uh, uh, celebration, if you will, starts on the 31st, correct? Correct. Yeah. All right. So come in and, and we have a bunch of different drinks uh, celebrating the, the Day of the Dead. So... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, special cocktails, et cetera. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on. So come in and check us out. We'll have a great time and uh, celebrate life.
Excellent. ready. Don't right. be such a stranger. Come back before uh, we want you back on before you know five years have gone by. <laughs> okay. Yes. Please. Thanks, Chef. All Thanks right. so much. Take care. Bye. All right, guys. Well, I love your show. You guys do a great okay. job. Love Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Ciao, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Galvin. All right, Galvin, let's go back to you. He's so, hard at work over there. So, ay ay ay, Diablo. <laughs> Spicy drink. Good. Oh, it's delicious. It is delicious. Thank you very much. So, in for you, is this a collaboration with the people at Morris, or does everybody get to showcase their own drinks? How does how do you all pick what you're going to do and you what fight winds it up out? on the menu. Yeah, is it a, a fight to the finish? How does it work? It's uh, a little competitive, a little collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily for me, I'm in a position where our bosses encourage us, encourage us to experiment constantly. It's how we develop our new cocktails. So we have a lot of leeway with what we get to do. We're constantly trying new things, uh, talking about ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are better than others. Not everything goes on the menu. But when a new menu rolls out, it's basically who has the best style drink, who has the best old fashioned style drink, who has the best Manhattan variation. Has somebody like ever like sort of one upped you with a drink? Like you had a drink, you're like, I really like this drink. And somebody has sort of one upped you and you were like, Ugh, now I have to make their drink. Is it a problem? Uh, I'm not. I never get upset about it. Uh, okay. It actually just happened this week. Have you week. ever slashed uh, anyone's tires is what we're really asking. I wanted asking. to do this uh, rum Negroni, but my boss came up with a better one than I did. Mm-hmm. No, he's your boss. You have to say that. <laughs> no, it's legitimately better than mine. Okay. <laughs> well, good for you. All right. So what are you making us next? So next I'm making uh, two gin-based cocktails. Uh, the classic Corpse Survivor number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become popular as a brunch cocktail. Uh, it was a half the dog drink back in the day. So a couple of these. Hence the name. Yeah. It's enough to uh, wake you up after a night of heavy drinking, but a few of these and. We don't know anything about that. Right. And the other drink I'm making is a late night reviver. Uh, In America recently, we've been obsessed with Amari and Amaro, so bitter Mm -hmm. liqueurs. This is going to be in the style of El Diablo, a bitter, uh, spicy drink uh, with gin. Uh, I just wanted to make this one so people at home could see how substituting tequila for gin, and you have a totally different cocktail and adding a little bit of something else. All right. We're ready. Bring it on. All right. So now we're going to switch subjects a little. Uh, Jonathan Nelms is the founder and co-owner of Supra, which is D.C.'s first and only Georgian restaurant. Great Georgian wines. Great Georgian foods. We're actually nibbling on some of that right now. Uh, Along with his wife, Laura, who's not here because Jonathan demands the limelight. Exactly. That's (laughs) true. He's got to have it all to himself, as do I. I don't know why I let Nikki in the studio today. Hi. So give us a little 411 on how, I mean, a Georgian restaurant in a city of thousands of restaurants and you're you're the only one is pretty, it's not even pretty, it's very unique. It's it's the definition of unique. Yeah, thanks. How did that happen? I mean- we're going up on next week will be our second birthday, as a matter of fact. Happy and, uh, birthday. So we're excited about that. And, you know, we, we moved, Laura and I lived in Moscow where we went to Georgian restaurants all the time and moved back, I guess, seven years ago now. And we're saddened by the fact that we couldn't have Georgian food anymore. And so I don't know. I know thing, you've never heard this, but you it? obviously had Georgia on your. Uh, oh, my yeah, God. I, Seriously? Can I yes. write that down? Eric, don't laugh <laughs> at that. Um, so, but what was it about Georgian food? Because the, um, it's not something that a lot of Americans were right. familiar with. Well, what is Georgian right. food? Right. Well, you know, right. it's, it would be sort of like going to Eastern Europe or the former Soviet Union and talking about Mexican food or, or something like that. They might not be familiar with it, but to us, it's not exotic. It's something we all grew up with. Well, the same is true in the former Soviet Union. Uh, Georgia was the part of the Soviet Union that had 
some of the best agriculture, the best wine. So the they place didn't have people to stand on vacation. Line. Well, they you know they 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 made wine at home. They it was a, a part of people a place that people would go on vacation. And so even now, if you're going around Moscow, Kiev, Warsaw, places like that, you'll find Georgian restaurants all over the place. It's just something they grew up with, so like we grew up with. Tell so, us about yeah, Georgian food. What's yeah, so Georgian food? Thank you. Georgian food, I, the quick pitch on it, I would say it's sort of a mix between Mediterranean and Middle Eastern, but then it's also got a lot of just its own things. I mean, they were, it's an, it's an ancient culture, ancient language, ancient cuisine, ancient winemaking style that's not related to the cultures immediately around it or really anything, like the language, the alphabet, nothing's related to anything else. So they were kind of up there in the mountains fighting off every empire that ever showed up. And so they, while they did take things from some of these other empires, they kind of held on to this core that is really uniquely Georgian. Unique is an overused word, but from our perspective in the West, where like you said, there's no big Georgian diaspora, there's no Georgian restaurants to speak of in any big uh, concentration. There's some in New York. But but talk ingredients. What's yeah? In I mean, right now we're eating something that looks right. like a pizza. It tastes Don't not at all pizza. like a pizza. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't. It we has say a the look, word. but it's it's basically flatbreads. Right. So there's 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 the two are the two biggest dishes sort of on our menu, the two best selling dishes on our menu are the Hachapuri and the Hincali. Oh the Hachapuri. You were bragging about your Spanish pronunciation before. Okay, so, so it's not buckle kacha- up for Georgian okay, so pronunciation. Wait, so it's not kacha- Hachapuri. Kacha- I thought Perfect. it was Kachapuri. 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 Which literally okay. means cheese bread. So it's a whole right. family of these and dishes. I do feel like there's been an explosion yes, when yes. it came to Hachapuri. It's like all of a sudden people were like cheese. Bread, butter, I'm yes, I'm I in. want it. So all different regions of Georgia have their own khachapuri. The one that you'll see the most, it's the most Instagrammable food in the world, is the Ajaruli khachapuri, which just means the khachapuri from Ajara, which is a region in western Georgia. Mm-hmm. But this is the one where tables, it sort of looks like a mm-hmm. Turkish pide or something like that. You'll hear it called a cheese boat. And so it's a big thing of bread with cheese in the middle, and then table side, they mix they'll it put up. an egg in it and... And stir it up, and then the heat of the cheese and butter fresh from the oven sets up the egg. And it's phenomenal. All of these are phenomenal, but that's the one that is absolutely our bestseller. Um, and that's why. Because right, <laughs> everybody's heard about it, everybody's but seen it. But you brought in, so I know you're one of the reasons why you're here today is not just yeah. because of what Supra has done, sort of as a way of announcing to the to the DC market especially, but more than that, nationally, about Georgian cuisine. You also have this incredible wine list. And right. Uh, Noel has been in studio, yep, yep. and he's, you know, really a proponent of Georgian wine. And your wine list is pretty Our incredible. List, yeah, that was a big point of contention when we were first starting. Would we feature Georgian wine, or would we only have Georgian wine? And I was in the only Georgian wine camp, but we had some general manager candidates, for example, who we were ready to give the job, and they walked away saying, "You can't have only Georgian wine list. That's crazy." But but it, you know, it when has Ho- but honestly, when Jose opened up Satinia, that's yeah, he that's exactly only featured right. wines from the Mediterranean, and it was specifically Greek wines yeah. and of the region. It was and Israeli, it was, Lebanese, yeah, right, all these and it wines was a hard sell. About. But he, right. he was clearly but he even, was right. Yeah, one of a, <laughs> Jose who, <laughs> <laughs> but people will tell me all the time. People who've been in DC longer than I have that when he first started, it was hard to find as many Spanish wines. I mean, now you don't even think about Spanish wine. Right. Well, it's not right. like you couldn't find them. Our but options they have changed. Right. Options have changed. Right. And so now I go into wine shops in Chevy Chase and DuPont on 14th Street and find Georgian wines. Yes. Yeah, but if you, I mean, the thing is, if you taste 
a Georgian wine, I mean a good one, yeah, you have no doubt that anything else that somebody sticks in front of you is going to be they're as good as the you know the rich reds from Tuscany. They're fantastic. Uh, Umbria, I mean, and then when you get into the amber wines, I mean that's sort of the quintessential Georgian wine. And right. you know, in two seconds, amber wine is take white skin grapes and make wine out of them as if it as if you were making red wine. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of skin contact and you suck color and tannin out of the skins just like you do when you're making red wine. But since it's white skin grapes, the color comes out anywhere from cloudy yellow to crystal clear bourbon color, right. like whiskey color, All really right, beautiful color. On that note, color. we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we want to talk about the fact that you're opening up a new Another restaurant. restaurant. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're eating and really drinking. good food. We'll be back in what just a, a sec. <laughs> All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. I want to quickly thank our sponsors for supporting the show, uh, ProFish, uh, Central Farm Markets, Meat Crafters, Mirabelle, fabulous restaurant right down near the White House. And opening soon in Georgetown, and you are definitely going to want to eat there, is Cafe Liberté. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. All right, so let's get back to Georgia. All right, yes. Jonathan. All right. So, hit it. Yeah, Here. so we were talking before about all the different hachapuri and the hinkali. The hinkali are, are soup dumplings with the soup on the inside. You'll see those in China. Georgia was on the western end of the Silk Road, so they got a little bit of that along the way. And so those were those dishes were so popular, those two, that Laura and I thought about, you know, how what are we going to do next? Should we do another supra somewhere in another city in another neighborhood? And we decided to do a neighborhood spot that really focuses on the hachapuri cheese breads and similar stuffed breads and the hinkali, the soup dumplings. And so Tabla uh, is opening in probably February, who knows, with these okay. things. But we're uh, putting the first shovel in the ground tomorrow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And it's like we're having very a baby. It is like having a baby. This baby was uh, gestating for a really long time. Already. <laughs> where, where, what, where is it? It's going to be on... Don't make fun of me. It's going to be on Georgia Avenue, which was a oh. total coincidence. Oh, oh, don't say Georgia on my mind, but I've, say Georgia Avenue. So uh-huh. it, it's on the corner of Lamont and Georgia Avenue. There's a little place you may have heard of next door called Call Your Mother, so that's mm-hmm. a good way to orient people it's called to where it is. Call Your Mother. Yeah, like exactly. So we, you know, we heard about this space that sounded like it was a good size, good everything on Lamont Street, and then Laura and I get there. And see, it's on the corner of Georgia and Lamont Street. And we're like, okay, well, this, this is fate. We've got Kismet, right. right. Kismet, yeah. But I think the idea is really interesting because you're right. The soup dumplings and the different kachapuris are really good sort of snack foods, yeah. right? Yeah, Even yeah, if yeah. they're the not. Finger foods. They, I mean, we tell everybody when you come in, we see them going for that knife and fork with the dumplings. Like, put, put that down. Yeah, put that Please. down, right. Drop that knife. You're supposed to pick it up by the top. Turn it over, take a little bite, drink out the broth, mm-hmm. and then go from there. But if you if you knife and fork it, you're losing the whole. But point I mean, of the dish. you know, with with everything else that's in that the immediate area, it's the perfect sort of finishing touch. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a couple beer gardens up the up the block, and so yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine what's better Are you before planning on or after doing late that. Night? Yeah, yeah. So we'll do late night. We'll have a patio. It's got big garage doors that roll up, that kind of thing. Will you do delivery? We will do delivery and takeout, which we have not done at Supra. It just kind of would crash the kitchen. But that's more of the plan to do that. At um, So Tabla's being designed with that in mind. So, yeah, we're ready to do that. So, I mean, literally, that's the menu at Tabla? Will there be anything else? Oh, there'll be some other things because, you know, somebody's gluten-free or whatever, and they don't want the, the dough for the dumplings or the, cheese, the the bread and the cheese bread. So there'll be some salads. There'll be things like pali, which are um, 
vegetable pâtés. That's another sort of general term for a wide variety of dishes where you take some vegetable, usually you roast it, and then mince it with like nuts, walnuts, right? always walnuts, and then other sorts of herbs. What, what about? I've had a couple of Georgian beers that were really good. Do yeah. you carry any of those? We haven't carried Georgian beers because importing them has been hard, yeah. so hard. They want you to take a whole container, and you know we were talking about wine sales before, and our wine list. I mean, our beer sales are just minuscule. And so we, I think with two places, especially with the latter, the new one, Tabla being more kind of late night, maybe we'll sell more beer. Maybe with two places, we can finally get some Georgian beer because I would love to have the experience of a bottle of Georgian beer with the Georgian funky alphabet on there. It's an interesting conversation piece. I mean, whenever you go to Ethiopian restaurant, it's fun to well, see Well, can we that, talk so. about yeah. one of my favorite things that you carry yes. <laughs> that's not food and it is liquid and it's not wine? Your sparkling water. The sparkling water, yes. I mean, uh, Borjomi is the most famous one, a real iconic product of Georgia for hundreds of years. Uh, it's right in the middle of the country. Uh, Laura and I and the girls drove through there last year and um, had a great time visiting. It was, you know, it was one of those, you know, the czars with recreation here. It was, uh, it was the the Baden Baden of the Caucasus. I just made that up, so I'm going to trademark that. And so I know, that but can too, you yeah. explain for people who don't understand what that means? Yeah, it's a place that they would go to take the waters. You know, they'd have these mineral baths and mineral springs where they would go both for the healing properties well, of the water. Well, they said his son was a hemophiliac, so they used to take the kid there. Uh, yeah, right. It's, it's right in the middle of the country, big national park there, absolutely beautiful. And the water all across, all around the city, and especially in the park, you just walk around and there's springs that are sprouting the stuff out at and it's room so temperature. Yummy. And then they bottle it and sell yeah, it's real iconic product. Uh, it's not something if we ever figure out a way to use that in a cocktail, that would be groundbreaking. Know, it's really it's, earthy, it's really really minerally, a I little salty. Yeah. I really love it. It's like hard. It's like a hard it water. It is. I love it. It's but it is a love or hate thing. <laughs> so supra means feast. Yes. Tabla. Tabla. Tabla means the Let me guess. Table? Oh, you're uh, Born linguist. Just, it, it, it does mean it does mean table, which is funny because you know, Georgian being unrelated to any other language, there's like never a word in Georgian that sounds like anything in English. But mm -hmm. tabla does. It's the table that would be sitting outside at a supra. So you'd have your supra, and all the ta all the food would be piling up on the tabla. And I understand it's from an even more obscure dialect. It's not even Georgian per se. It's like Magrelian or something like that. Oh, so, Magrelian. Sure, yeah, one of your favorites. Is Magrelian. Uh, it's West Georgia. It's a more obscure version of okay. the world's most obscure language. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I've, co really I've come out of this with two words in Georgian. Oh, I only have one in Turkish. Yeah. So now I have two in Georgian. <laughs> I feel good. So we're looking at hopefully February? Yes, that's we right. We think, hopefully. Yeah, think There's so. a space already there? Or are you doing a there complete build-out? No, it, it's, it's going to be the first floor of a building that has nine apartment units in there and they lease them out to long-term corporate travelers or long sort of airbnb vrbo style oh, that'll be a built-in so yeah those people don't want to cook they're going <laughs> right. to come downstairs and right. eat cheese breads and drink Georgian wine not bad this all right so we're excited. congratulations we're excited. Uh -huh. thank you and Thanks. are those super are the feasts back at supra they are yeah we took the summer off but we've been doing them every month i was going to tell you guys that there are three tickets left but now there are not three tickets left because a guy who came to the september supra Brought some friends the other day, and he bought the rest of them sitting there on his phone. Sitting so there we the have table. like 30 seconds. Yeah. Tell people what the Supras so, are at Supra. So a Supra in Georgia means feast. So you're sitting there at a big table with a bunch of people, and a Tamada, who's a Toastmaster, kind of a Toastmaster MC, leads you through some scripted toasts, some off-the-cuff toasts based on the conversation. And 
in doing that, we teach you both about the super tradition, but also about the food, about the wine, and they've been a big hit. So we try to do them every month, and your yep. ticket gets you a whole bunch of food and wine and all so that good stuff. So when's the next one? The next one now is going to be, well, we won't do one in December. We'll do one in January 16th. So January 16th Mark on our website, www.supradc.com. Great. Uh, you can go to the Supras at Supra page, <laughs> and we will be putting that up shortly. January 16th, 8 o'clock. We won't be here. We'll be in Nicaragua. We're going. We'll, we'll send you some cheese breads. Now that's now. right. We're going to hang with the Sandinistas. You got All it. All right. So that's pretty much the show. Galvin, come on back for two more minutes. Let's make sure everybody knows where Morris American Bar is and just give the kind of the, the elevator speech about it one more time because it's a great place. So Morris American Bar is located mm-hmm. in the convention center directly across Kinship Medier. Uh, we are on 7th Street between Allen, New York, in case you need any more directions. We're going to sit down and speak easy. It's a very beautiful date spot. Uh, Why are you looking at me? I'm married 25 years. Why am I... Well, you can still take her on a date. <laughs> oh, I thought yeah. you were inferring that I would have a date there, but, you know, I see. Keep the romance alive at Morris America Oh, Bar. it's alive. It's alive and well, actually. Um, uh, and it's all craft cocktails. It's all craft cocktails. Uh, we are debuting our food menu in two weeks. Mm. Uh, we are revamping our wine program, uh, but the focus is still primarily on very well executed craft cocktails. Great. Excellent. Okay, everybody well, thank you. go. Thanks there. so much for everything today. All right, so uh, it is alive and well, isn't it? Say yes. Sure. Okay, there it is. Sure. She said sure. All right, everything you heard about on the show today, you can find on Nikki's website, thelistareyouonit.com. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on WTOP, where she does regular stories and features and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Twitter. And that's. Oh, and don't forget to listen every Monday from 5 to 6 at fullserviceradio.org uh, because she does Industry Night. Yeah. yeah? Who's yeah. on tomorrow? Steve. Well, Steve. Bayshore, our guest, is also going to be joining me tomorrow uh, on Industry Night. And then uh, earlier this year, we had a fabulous group of young people who have started a distillery out in Maryland called Miscellaneous. They have a terrific story. So tune in on fullserviceradio.org. I see the time. Wait, I know. No, I'm not telling you about the time. I want to make sure that tomorrow Steve Bayshore tells the whole story of George Washington's teeth because they weren't wooden. And they were, there's a whole story about that that's pretty interesting. So. Okay, great. All right. So we thank you all for tuning in today to Foodie and the Beast live uh, on 1500 AM. You can download this episode and all of our episodes anytime you want. Just go to thelistareyouwanted.com. It's all there for you. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us in studio Good today. Show. And everybody, please have a delicious week.